Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. We thank you for this Shabbat, for this time that you've given us to gather together as mishpacha, as family to worship, to encounter you, and to hear from you. Father, I pray that as we open up your word today, that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that nothing of me will be involved in this message, but it will be you speaking into our hearts and to our lives, that it will be directly from you and changing us today. Use me as a vessel for your voice to come forth that your word will be proclaimed and your name be glorified. B'shem Yeshua Meshachinu, in the name of Yeshua our Messiah we pray, and everyone says, Amen and Amen. Uh, so this week we read Parsha Yitro uh, from Exodus 18, 1 through 20, uh, verse 23. Uh, there is, as always, an infinite number of things that we could talk about from this Parsha. Uh, and if we had seven and a half hours for me to expound upon it, I don't know that I would scratch the surface of what all is happening in this Parsha. And so we begin right out the gate with Yitro, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, uh, coming to uh, Moses, bringing his wife Zippor and their children back to him, whom he's been caring for while Moses was in Egypt doing his thing, bringing Israel out of Egypt. Um, and, uh, and ultimately, we see that uh, Moses invites Jethro and his household to join with Israel and to live with Israel. When we go to um, uh, Joshua and Judges, we see that the descendants of Jethro remain with Israel and are a part of the inheritance with Israel, um, and all of this because of his heart and his faithfulness as he recognizes the God of all creation, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true and only God of Israel, is the only God in all of the world, and uh, professes this and proclaims it because he sees the power of God among Israel. Uh, and, and this is a very important reality for us to understand that when we want to see, and, and how many of us want to see people come to faith, want to see people come to encounter the God of Israel, want to see people come to know Yeshua Mashiach as their salvation, the reality is, is that's only going to, not because of the words that we speak. It's not going to happen because we can preach or evangelize or, or because we can uh, uh, apologize the scriptures better than anyone else. It's not because we can scream at cars that are running by, but it's when the power and the presence of God is in our lives and they see that first, when they see God in our lives first, when they see his presence first, then they're willing to hear his word come forth. And so when we look at this, what we see is that uh, Jethro has heard of all the great things that God has done for Israel. He's seen the presence of God leading Israel in the wilderness as he comes to see them, to, to meet with Moses. And he here he falls on his face and he worships the God of all creation because he saw the presence of God in Israel first, which is a really good thing because in just a few chapters, Israel throws all of that out the window, builds an idol, a golden calf, and begins to worship and says, this is the God that led us out of Egypt. Imagine if, if, if Jethro had approached Israel at that moment, uh, would he have seen the presence of God in their midst as he did right after the uh, right at the base of Mount Sinai? So, in particular, I in holding to that thought of seeing the presence of God in our lives, I want to jump to Exodus 19, beginning with verse three. Exodus 19, beginning with verse three. This is the beginning of the Sinai account. This is the beginning of Israel's experience or their encounter with the presence of God on Mount Sinai, with the audible voice of the Lord speaking forth. The Aseret Hadi wrote the the ten words, what's known as the ten. 
commandments uh, in, in Exodus 20. So Exodus 19, verse 3 says, Moses went up to God, and Adonai called to him from the mountain, saying, Say this to the house of, of Jacob, and tell B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, then, if you listen closely to my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be my own treasure from among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. So as for you, you will be my kingdom of Kohanim, a holy nation. These are the words which you were to speak to B'nai Israel. So Moses went, called for the elders of the, of the people and put before them all the words that Adonai commanded him. Uh, and all Israel proclaims to Moses in the midst of this, uh, all the people answered together and said, everything that Adonai has spoken, we will do. Then Moses reported the words of the people to Adonai. So right out the gate, we see uh, this word used two times here, the same exact word used two different times. And the word is kol, which means voice. Uh, we, we talk about the voice of God, as in, in Hebrew we call it the bat kol. Uh, this is the bat kol, this is the voice of God that he's speaking of. And, and so as Moses ascends the mountain, as he's called by, by the Lord, he ascends the mountain, he goes into the presence of God, and the Lord calls out, the voice of God calls out to Moses and expresses what he's about to do and expresses the ultimate calling that he has upon Israel, which is that Israel will be uh, a, a treasure from among all the peoples and that he will make them a kingdom of Kohanim, a holy nation. And we move to Isaiah and we recognize that the reason that Israel was called out to be a holy people, a nation of Kohanim, a treasured people of Adonai, is so that they would be a light to the nations to all the rest of the nations of the world so that they would come to know the God of all creation, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he goes to the nation uh, or to the elders of the nation of Israel and he proclaims what God has said and they say, uh, again, using the same word, kol. they say, uh, say uh, every word, everything that Adonai has spoken, we will do. Uh, and they, they proclaim this in one voice speaking back to, the, to, to Moses and, and what the Lord is doing. And so I want you to hold on to that idea of the bat kol, of the kol, the voice of the Lord coming forth because this is ultimately what's happening in this parsha, right? We go to, to one chapter over to Exodus 20 and we see the voice of the Lord is speaking audibly to the entire nation of Israel as the Aseret Adi wrote, the 10 words, the 10 commandments are being spoken. And so we're building to this idea of Israel hearing the bat kol, the voice of of the Lord, something that only Moses has heard up to this point, but in a few verses, the entire nation will hear. Verse 9, Adonai said to Moses, I am about to come to you in a thick cloud so that the people will hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. Then Moses told the words of the people to Adonai. Adonai said to Moses, go to the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their clothing. Be ready for the third day, for on the third day Adonai will come down upon Mount Sinai and the sight of all the people. And here we see that, that God has called Israel to sanctify themselves, to consecrate themselves. And the, the Hebrew here, the word is kadash, which is the root for kodesh, uh, to be holy, kedoshim, to be holy ones. Uh, kadash means to be made holy, to be sanctified, to be consecrated. Uh, and, and as I said, it's the root of kadosh, it's the root of kedoshim. And to be sanctified means to be set apart or declared as holy or consecrated to be free from sin, to purify oneself. So the Lord tells Moses to talk to Israel and says, look, 
on the third day, from now, I'm going to be speaking to you. You are going to encounter my presence like you've never experienced before. Now keep in mind that the presence of the Lord has led Israel through the wilderness. The presence of the Lord has led Israel through the Yamsuf, the Sea of Reeds. The presence of the Lord is already on the mountain. We know this because Moses ascended the mountain to enter the presence of the Lord to hear God. But in just a few verses, they are going to experience and encounter the presence of the Lord, the Shekhinah, the divine glory, in a way that they could have never imagined. Which, by the way, is exactly what the Lord gave to Moses as a sign in, uh, in the early parts of Exodus when God calls him out. Remember, he says, well, how am I to know that you really sent me? And the Lord says, well, when you bring Israel back to this very mountain to encounter me in the same way that you are. So he's sitting on Mount Sinai. He sees the burning bush not being consumed and the voice of the Lord comes forth uh, from the bush and then the nation comes back to the very same mountain. And on a grander scale, a macro scale, what occurred to that bush is going to occur to the mountain as a whole and the entire nation is going to experience it, fulfilling the promised sign that God gave to Moses that he would know that God called him the, the confirmation, if you would, of that, of that calling. And so here we see Israel being told to sanctify themselves, to consecrate themselves, to set themselves righteous and holy, to set themselves apart so that when the presence of the Lord reveals himself, when the voice of the Lord comes, they are in their heart prepared to receive and to hear. And so for two days they do that. They sanctify themselves. They set themselves apart. They, they remove themselves from everyday activities so that they are prepared for the presence of the Lord. Verse 16 says, Then uh, in the morning of the third day there was thundering and lightning, uh, a thick cloud on the mountain, and the blast of an exceedingly loud shofar. All the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the lowest part of the mountain. Now the entire Mount Sinai was in smoke because I had descended upon it in fire. The smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. The whole mountain quaked greatly. When the sound of the shofar grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with a thunderous sound. What's really interesting here is, is verse 16. There's a, a unique phrase that's happening here. First and foremost, in the English, it's most often translated as there was thundering and lightning. But that word thundering, you know what that word is actually in the Hebrew? Coal. There was the voice and lightning. We translate it as thunder because it's this voice that quaked the ground. It changed the very foundations of what Israel was experiencing as they stood at the base of Mount Sinai. It shook them to the very core, but it was the voice of the Lord. And that thundering continues as the voice of the Lord proclaims the Aserat Hadibrot, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words to the nation of Israel. And Israel, after the Ten Commandments, they tell Moses, hey, Look, here's the deal. Um, this was fun. Uh, it was real. It was fun, but it wasn't real fun. Um, we can't hear his voice anymore. If we continue to hear his voice, we're going to die. Verse 18 of chapter 20, all the people witnessed the thundering and the lightning and the sound of the shofar. Again, that word there for thundering is, is coal, the voice. Uh, and the mountain smoking, when the people saw it, they trembled and stood far off. So they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. Do not let God speak to us or we will die. You know what's interesting here? You know what the one thing God wanted to do was to speak intimately to his people, was to have an intimate relationship with them. And here Israel is experiencing the power and the presence of God in a way that could have never been fathomed. And they cry out, I can't do this. Moses, you go get it and everything you say we will do. And they repeat the same words again. Everything that the Lord says we will do, but the something says everything that he says through you we will do. But if we hear his voice again, will die. 
we will die. We cannot handle his voice. Remember last week when we talked about fear? This is what's happening. Israel is becoming frightened at the awe of the presence of God. They're becoming frightened at the awe of the voice of the Lord, the bat kol coming forth. I lean towards, and this is my take. You can write it off if you don't like it, whatever. My take is, I don't think that Israel truly sanctified themselves to be prepared to hear the voice of the Lord. And we can see this because Moses spends a few weeks too long on the mountain, and the first thing they do is they build an idol. They build a golden calf, and they begin to worship it. Israel never fully sanctified themselves. As a matter of fact, the same is true when they go into the promised land. They never fully sanctified the land. They never fully took the land of Israel, the Philistines. They left remaining there in Gaza. And guess what? It's still a plague to Israel today. Even though it's a different people group, the same name has been assumed because historically, it's a prophetic statement, historically, they are going to be a thorn in Israel's side. Israel never fully cleansed themselves or the land in order to live in the presence of God intimately as the Lord wants to do with his people. We see this because Israel ultimately gets ushered out of the land. Not once, but twice. The temple is destroyed, not once, but twice. Because we can't quite get our heads wrapped around this idea of sanctifying ourselves, being set apart righteous and holy for the Lord. To encounter him, to be intimate with him, to hear his bot call on a regular basis. He calls us to be his children. He calls us scripturally his children. Not just to be, but he calls us his children. We are called to look at him as our Abba, as our Daddy, as our Heavenly Father. Not just as our Father with this strict uh, 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 authoritarian kind of a, 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 a title for him. But he wants to be our Abba. Abba is a term of endearment. It's an intimate relationship. When my children call me Daddy, and look, when my kids are in trouble... And when my kids are doing right and getting loved on and because they're doing right and whatever, and I get, they get loved on when they're in trouble too. But when, when, when they're doing right and when they're doing wrong, there's a different way that they respond to me. There's a different way that they talk to me, right? I'm, I'm daddy when everything's going well or they want something. And I'm dad when they're in trouble, right? There's a change, not just in the language, not just in the wording that's chosen, but there's a change in the interaction. There's a change in the tone, and here the Lord wanted to have an intimate relationship with his people. And his people were scared to death to encounter him in such a way. Notice that what occurs in Exodus 19 and 20 is reiterated again in Acts chapter 2. The same exact circumstances, except this time instead of on the mountain, it's upon the people that are bought by the blood of the Lamb. On the mountain, he wanted to have an Acts 2 encounter with his people. But it took Acts 2 for it to occur because in between Sinai and Acts 2 was the outpouring of the blood of the Lamb, Yeshua Mashiach, which allowed for a true sanctification. It allowed for us to truly be made kedushim, to be made holy ones, to be consecrated, righteous, and holy, to encounter His presence and to hear His batkol in a way that doesn't frighten us to the core. We go to Psalm 29. Psalm 29, when we think about the voice of the Lord and we think about encountering his presence, and this is such a powerful statement of not only the awe of the presence of God and his voice in our midst, but of what he wants to do for us 
if we simply allow him. Verse 1, a psalm of David, ascribe to Adonai, O sons of God. Ascribe to Adonai glory and strength. Ascribe to Adonai the glory of his name. Bow down to Adonai in the beauty of holiness. The voice of Adonai is over the waters. The, glor- the, the God of glory thunders. Adonai is over mighty waters. The voice of Adonai is powerful. The voice of Adonai is full of majesty. The voice of Adonai breaks the cedars. Yes, Adonai shatters cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf, siren like a, a young wild ox. The voice of Adonai hews out flames of fire. The voice of Adonai shakes the desert. Adonai shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of Adonai makes the deer rife in birth and strips forest bare. And in his temper, all are saying, glory. Adonai sits enthroned over the flood. Yes, Adonai sits as king forever. Adonai gives strength to his people. Adonai blesses his people with shalom, with peace. Yes, his voice is awe-inspiring. His voice will shake us to the very core of our existence. His voice can knock over the trees of Lebanon. His voice can ignite anything in fire. And his voice can speak the very realities and the foundations of creation itself into existence. But his bakol can also speak strength and shalom into your life if you simply let him. If you simply allow your lives to be set apart, righteous and holy, to be consecrated and sanctified before him, that we can encounter his voice and his presence without fear and trepidation. Now, that doesn't mean that we are not to fear the presence of the Lord, but we are not to be afraid of his presence. And there's a difference. We go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, most of you are very well familiar with this. I read from it and speak from it a lot. I love this passage of Scripture, and I think it is so pertinent to this reality of where we are right now and what God wants to do for us and through us. And it speaks directly to what our forefathers experienced at Sinai. Verse 18 of Hebrews 12, for you have not come to a mountain that cannot be touched, I'm sorry, that can be touched into a blazing fire and to darkness and gloom and storm. And to the blast of a shofar and a voice whose words made those who heard it beg that not another word be spoken to them. For they could not bear what was commanded if even an animal touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. So terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am quaking with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels and a joyous gathering and to the assemblies of the firstborn who are written in the scroll in heaven. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous ones made perfect, and to Yeshua, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood, uh, the sprinkled blood that speaks of something greater than the blood of Abel. Verse ter- ter- uh, 28, skip to verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude, though this Through this, we may offer worship in a manner pleasing to God with reverence and awe for our God as a consuming fire. And between these two sections here of Hebrews 12 is this passage, verse 25, which is one of five times that the author of Hebrews warns us to not deny the reality of salvation in Yeshua. Verse 25, see to it that you do not refuse the one who is speaking. Who's speaking? Adonai. 
How is it that we are sanctified to be able to hear his voice through the blood of Messiah? Do not refuse his voice as our forefathers did. For if they did not escape when they refused the one who was warning them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject the one who warns us from heaven. His voice shook the earth then, but now he is promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Now the fra- this phrase, yet once more, shows the removal of, thing- of those things that are shaken, that is, created things, so that we cannot be shaken, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude. Through this we may offer worship in a manner pleasing to God with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. You know what happens at the end of Acts chapter 2? Thousands come to know the reality of the salvation of the blood atonement of Messiah Yeshua and experience an encounter with the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, which is the very Shekhinah, the divine glory of God. Why? Not because Peter preached a great sermon. All he did was go over some history. They believed because they saw the presence of God. And you know what happened after that? There were those being added daily that were being saved. You know why? Because they saw the presence of God in the midst of the believers. You know what happened when Jethro approached Israel in the wilderness? He saw the presence of God in their midst and he surrendered his life to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The reality is, is God wants nothing more than for us to have a Sinai experience, a Sinai encounter with his presence every waking moment that we breathe the breath of life. The only thing that holds us back from experiencing that is that we don't allow ourselves to be set apart righteous and holy. And look, this is the problem for the body of Messiah as a whole. Just look at the world around us. The body of Messiah is more concerned with not making the outside world uncomfortable with us so that we can be accepted than we are for the reality that, 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 that we are called to call sin, sin. That we are called to lead people into the presence of God. The body of Messiah as a whole, unfortunately, far too often doesn't look any different than the world around us. But God's called us to be set apart righteous and holy. The body of Messiah as a whole has chosen comfort and convenience. We've chosen a seeker-friendly model of the narrative of the gospel rather than the reality that the Holy Spirit condemns the sin in our lives, not the sinner. Yeshua wants to save the sinners so that we can be set apart, righteous, and holy, consecrated for his presence to dwell in our midst so that others will come to know him. But the body of Messiah is more concerned about the outside world than we are about the kingdom of heaven. And I want to encourage you today to recognize that we have two choices before us. One is to hear the voice of the Lord and quake in fear and shrivel back like Israel did at Mount Sinai and say, if somebody else, go get it. Whatever he's got to say, just bring it back, but I can't hear it myself. Or we can encounter the reality of the new covenant spoken of in Jeremiah 31 in which his words, the covenant itself, is no longer just something written on parchment or on stone that we look at and read and interact with viscerally on the outside, externally, but instead something that is etched upon the very flesh of our heart. How does that occur? Yeshua, the word made flesh, tabernacles amongst us on the inside. 
He dwells within our hearts and He, the Word made flesh, is now a part of who we are. His Ruach HaKodesh, His Holy Spirit, which inspired the words that are found in this book from Genesis through Revelation, not just Genesis through Malachi uh, in the, the English order or Genesis through Chronicle in the Jewish order, not just through Matthew through Revelation and, and the, the Brachadesha or the New Testament as most of the body concerns themselves more, for, more with, but from Genesis through Revelation. And he wants that word not just to be something on pages black and white that we read and interact with externally, but something that occurs on the inside. Something that becomes a very part of who we are so that when the world sees us, they see something different. They see something set apart righteous and holy. They see the very presence of God. And they should see him in us before they ever hear us talk about him. They should see him in us before they ever see us. And if our lives are not that intimately intertwined with the presence of God, then we haven't fully set ourselves aside. We haven't fully taken the call of God to be sanctified and consecrated in the blood of the Lamb. If that isn't what people see in our lives, then we are still building golden calves. We still have high places we haven't allowed the Lord to tear down. And instead of advancing the kingdom of God as we've been called to do, instead of watching the Great Commission become a reality in our lives, we are instead putting up hindrances for people to find Messiah. I want to encourage you today to recognize the words of Hebrews to recognize the occurrence of Acts 2, to understand the reality of Psalm 29, that yes, his voice is awe-inspiring. It is powerful. And to those that are not set apart, those that are not sanctified and consecrated, it is going to quake us to the core. But to those that are washed by the blood of the Lamb, to those who are fully bought into the reality of the new covenant, which is not a new covenant as though God got rid of the old one, but it is a renewal of what he had already said was forever. Once we get our heads wrapped around that and we allow his presence to reside in our lives as it did on Mount Sinai, as it did upon the heads of the believers in Acts 2 and become a reality in who we are, then we will see the world around us changed because we will see people walk up to us and ask us what's different. They'll walk up to us and say, I want what you have. They'll approach us as Jethro did, who walked up because he heard the things that God did for Israel. And he turned his life over, surrendered himself fully to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jethro was a priest of Midian. He was a high priest, a pagan priest, who turned his life over to God. How much more can God do through us if we simply allow his presence to reside intimately in our hearts and our lives. If we live in a Sinai experience day in and day out. You want to talk about seeing the reality of him, him being our strength and giving us shalom as, as it says in verse 11 of, of Psalm 29, I don't know, give strength to his people and blesses, I don't know, blesses his people with shalom. The only way we can experience that in the spite of everything going on around us, and look, we all got problems. We all got stuff happening, right? The walls are crashing around us. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much you try to pretend your life's all hunky-dory and perfect. You're not farting rainbows. That's just the reality about it. <laughs> the walls are crashing down around us. 
And God loves us and he wants to be our strength. He doesn't want us to be strengthened. He wants to be our strength. He wants to give us shalom because we don't have to stand rigid and hard against the world anymore, but he is our strength and we can lean upon his peace. You ever watch a suspension bridge? You ever seen what they're like? It's just this random span of roadway that just kind of dangles off some cords, except for the fact that there's these two towers, these pillars that hold the bridge up. Mentally, it shouldn't work. Physics says it's possible, and it does. And the reality is, if we don't allow the Lord to give us those pillars, which can be looked at in many different ways. It can be him as our strength and our shalom, and each of those towers represents one. It can be his, his Torah, his word, and his grace. It can be a number of things, but the reality is, is if you ever watch one of these bridges, when one of those pillars gets knocked out, what happens? The whole thing collapses. We are the span of roadway, and God is the pillars upholding us. And if we sever the base of what is the core of our strength and our peace, we will collapse and the world will crash down upon us. If you think life is hard now, try walking away from the presence of the Lord and seeing what it's like. But the Lord wants to use you and I for His purposes that the people around us will experience the power of his presence in their lives because he is in us. Because we walk faithfully in the righteousness and the sanctification that can only be found in the blood of the lamb. And look, that doesn't mean that just because we've got the grace of the blood of the lamb that we can go do whatever the heck we want either. To be set apart righteous and holy means we have to be different than everyone else. That's a tough thing to wrap our heads around. As Messianic believers, like that's the road we walk on a regular basis. We are different because we don't eat most of the stuff everybody else eats around us. We're in South Alabama and there's a lot of garbage that's eaten here. We don't eat it. We don't go to church on Sundays. We worship on the Shabbat. We don't celebrate Christmas and Easter in our congregation. Some of you may in your own lives and that's fine, but we don't do it as a community. We celebrate the, 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 the Moedim, the set apart days, the anointed days, the appointed days of Adonai from Leviticus 23. We focus on everything that Lord has called us to do from Genesis to Revelation, not just Matthew through Revelation. And we recognize that the only way that we can honor his word at all is by him being our strength and our shalom because on our own as honestly useless human beings we're going to fail every single time Matthew 5 what was read earlier in our Torah service and I'll close with this Yeshua says you've heard it said it's a sin to commit murder but I say if you've been hated you've already committed it you've heard it's a sin to commit adultery but I say if you've been lusted you've already committed it he's not saying as long as you don't lust you can commit adultery and he's not saying as long as you don't hate you can commit murder and for the record all four of those issues are dealt with in the Torah he's not saying I'm giving you some new law and as long as you don't do this you can do that or whatever he's saying for every external sin 
For every external command, there's an internal one. And Yeshua says, if you simply let me etch the new covenant upon your heart, if you let me be what resides within you and allow me to take care of the inside, the outside will never sin. If you let me block the lust and the hatred, you will never commit adultery and murder. It's a whole different narrative than what we're usually told. But that's what Yeshua is saying. And it boils down to that idea of being sanctified, set apart, righteous, and holy for the kingdom of God. So that the world around us, who does lust and hate and commit adultery and murder and anything and everything else, not so that our words condemn them, but that his presence in our lives condemns the sin in them and they come to find him because of his presence in our midst. When we realign our lives with him, the world changes and the light overtakes the darkness. The light will always reign true. The question is, is how many of us are truly willing to walk in the light of his presence? Avarachmim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Lord, though we don't always understand everything happening around us, we recognize wholeheartedly and trust fully in the fact that you have a plan and a purpose for everything. That what is meant for evil in our lives, you can and will turn into good. And Father, we recognize that you love us more than anything. And that you desire nothing more than an intimate relationship with us. Not blind robotic obedience not uh, mood practice, but Lord, that we give you everything we have. That our very core be so intertwined with your presence that your ways will emanate forth from our mouths, from our footsteps, from our lives naturally. And that the world around us will see the power of your presence in our midst. And their lives and hearts will be changed. And many, many, many more will come daily to the saving knowledge of Messiah Yeshua. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray and everyone says, Amen.